Well, Coach Weaver, welcome to part three of the Culture Connection. And today we're going to take a deeper look at the militarism that goes along with sports at various levels. And the theme we're going to focus on in this episode is Band of Brothers. Yeah, it's uh, this is a really cool mini-series that we're putting together. You know, we first did the uh, All Blacks. And then last night we talked about discipline. And tonight we're going to put it all together and talk about Band of Brothers, which is a popular series on uh, that was made fi- uh, famous on HBO, you know, about World War II. But I also think it's imperative that our listeners understand that, you know, leadership academies are important also for your sports team. And that's kind of why we're putting the culture connection together. Uh, so we can kind of outline a model for, for listeners or for coaches that want to start a leadership academy. I know those things are they're, they're hard to get started. You don't know where to start. You know what you want the end product to be, but you don't know how to get it going. Uh, so talk to our listeners a little bit, JT, about how do we do this type of thing? Because you've actually done this with your master's program. Yeah, I think that's the first thing that people need to understand is that there's no right way. I think uh, uh, every leader needs to look at what they're currently doing and then expand on that. Uh, don't just be settled for where you are right now. If you have nothing, great. It's a clean slate. If you've dabbled in it before, you know, Tim Kite would tell you, you can't just dabble in leadership. Uh, so I want to give a couple models and I can throw out what I did with my master's program. Jerry Campbell was my teacher. So we're talking about a football guy who I submitted my program to. He thought it was elite, one of the best that he's ever seen. And, uh, I just kind of took the lifting three days a week and I put little video clips with reflective questions done in small units with it. And over the course of nine or 10 weeks, and it builds on everything, and there's just a different lesson for each week. And so that's one model. You don't have to do it that way. I know in Monarch Football, over the last three years, we've done a leadership academy starting in the spring, and it's five weeks centered on our five core values of our program, and it's donuts, it's juice, it's an hour, it's the leadership team in, and that gives people more buy-in and ownership into what we're doing with our upcoming season. I know you guys have done a whole lot with like your summer speaking series, Coach Weaver. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we wanted to implement something uh, that was different where every coach had a voice. And it wasn't too long, but it was every day during the summer. So we outlined uh, core speaking points that we wanted to hammer home to our guys that talked about what our team's culture was about. So if you want to be in Patriot football, this is what it looked like. So we went through the whole summer each coach had a different topic uh, over the course of the summer. And, uh, you know, we just named it our summer speaking series. We've done it for two years now. We're going to go for a third. Uh, it's been real good to us. Coach Davis likes it. Uh, plus, it gives all the coaches a voice talking to our team. Another thing we're going to do, and this is going to be brand new, Coach Davis and I had just discussed that we're going to look at building our leadership academy not just for five weeks, but we're going to do the whole semester. So we're going to start this Wednesday and go all the way until the end of spring ball. And we're going to go every other week on a Wednesday for about 30 minutes. And then on the off week, we're going to create a Google Drive document and send to our kids that has essential questions that they can have feedback uh, on. And we're going to do that all on Canvas through our school. So that's just another way uh, to keep constant communication with your guys, uh, even in your offseason, because we have guys in basketball, we have guys uh, doing soccer. Uh, you have off-season football. You have baseball right now, too. So just a way to get your guys for 30 minutes 
and kind of preach what your culture uh, is and what you're trying to instill, you know. And even if you have new guys coming up, so you have freshmen that are now on our team uh, of knowing what Patriot football is about. So that's just another way that we do it. Oh, I love it. I love giving content once every 14 days. That also feels like you're not forcing it down people's throats. That's the other thing that I think we get with leadership. There's a lot of pushback when you're out of season. Like, well, wait, why are my guys doing all this? It's not even your season. They're busy doing these other things. And so if you can break it down like that, that's a huge sweep the shed mentality that is minimal time invested. And then I love the other piece of it where in the opposite week where you're delivering the content, there's an accountability piece. So the players actually bring something or contribute something based on the content that was delivered. And when we talked about discipline in our second part, that's totally the application piece. Here's your content. What do you think about it? Now go apply it. And how does this have to do with our program? That's right. It's going to, you know, it's going to be uh, trial and error, but I think our guys are going to adapt to it. And it's going to be a great thing for us moving forward, uh, especially for the new guys that are in our program, understanding who we are. Uh, you know, Randy Jackson also says the biggest thing you want to do, JT, is you want to fascinate your guys daily. Um, so video clips, I think, are a must. Um, some kind of uh, graphic, maybe. Uh, something to grab their attention because, you know, they're all on Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, so images are huge for them. You know, that's the world we live in today. It's high interest. Anyone can spend five minutes. I think you can find a great video clip on YouTube or whatever that's five minutes or less that conveys a great short story to captivate people's attention. Every year we get a shorter attention span as human beings anyway. And, you know, all of our resources for the Culture Connection come from CoachRandyJackson.com. And so I just want to share with our listeners a model that North 40 does in his program. They give a big presentation on Monday that's about 20 minutes. And then the rest of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, is led uh, by a, a different position coach in small groups discussion. And the coach who teaches the lesson Monday provides the questions for the small groups throughout the week. Um, there's also that caveat, like you said, the Monday lesson must have at least one video clip from a movie. So it doesn't have to be a huge time commitment. It's not like we're telling you run an hour of practice and then do an hour of culture. Anything that you're gonna do that's more intentional than what you're doing right now, that's the whole goal of a culture connection. Right, start somewhere, even if it's small. Just the biggest thing I believe is get it started because you and I both know nothing changes if nothing changes. It's so true. And if you're not willing to start, and I don't think that's the case with our listeners, but it will never grow. You'll find little ways to tweak it and make it better. You just got to get started and invest in it. And all the coaches that have done that have great things to say about it, and no one ever regrets it. That's true. Well, let's uh, let's get into tonight's discussion. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the Band of Brothers. And uh, really interesting, JT, uh, you know, they both it came from a very popular phrase in the late 1980s, early 2000s. Uh, HBO had a miniseries on it about World War II. Our baseball coach, Alan Pavette, uh, who was uh, the last episode in season three, uh, used this as his, uh, his team's mantra for the year. I believe they won the state championship. Uh, so Band of Brothers 
Uh, and you, you can go on and on about it. You know, LSU's defense. Uh, I'm thinking about BYU's also had this. A lot of teams use this slogan. Yeah, it kind of fits football. You know, I mean, you think about putting on the armor, putting on the pads, going to battle next to war. It's the most violent game on the face of the earth. Uh, and then the fact that there's 22 people on the field at one time, you know, Band of Brothers really fits. No explanation really needed. And I think the thing that makes it fascinating is the levels of teams that have used it. Not only have there been a lot of teams that have used Band of Brothers, but all the way from the NFL down to youth leagues have used this kind of catchphrase to unite and rally their guys. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I'm thinking about Coach Pavette's baseball team with this and uh i think it just gives you that sense of brotherhood automatically you know that it's that military style that we we compared in season two to athletics that it just kind of fits you know every guy or girl or whoever they're craving to be a part of something and when you throw that tagline band of brothers i mean i've even talked to coach davis about making that our slogan for this year's band of brothers um you know it's a family atmosphere, and what other kind of atmosphere do you want on your football team than family or brotherhood? It's so true. I mean, and we talk about guys in the trenches all the time and do it for the person next to you. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get a lot of value out of three short words, band of brothers. You know, I think it's really interesting, the compelling question that kind of resonates with me, that sticks out to me as we look at this presentation from Coach Jackson, it's, can there be a great team that doesn't love each other? Mm. It's a fantastic question. And uh, I don't think it is. I don't think that can happen. So my, my short answer would be no. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when, when teams are exhausted, they're exhausted, you're, you're exhausted, coaches are exhausted. Uh, the thing that we talked about earlier was you don't want to let each other down because that's critical. You want to play for the guy next to you. And when you go back, and, and I, I think of Damon West when he said about being a coffee bean, the, the number three, the secret of life, was servant leadership. Well, that, that's the epitome of it. You want to be able to serve others, so why would you want to let your teammate down? So, no, uh, can there be a team, a great team, excuse me, that does not love each other? The, the answer is no. Well, and I think this is open for great debate amongst your program, amongst the guys that you have in the room doing this leadership stuff with, amongst your team. And there's two words that I think you could have a really powerful dialogue about. The first is great. What is a great team? Is it hanging a banner? Is it winning a state championship? Is it having a winning record? Is it perfect attendance all season? You know, great can mean a lot of different things no matter where you are in your program. And I think the other thing, and it's really hard for high school kids to kind of get behind this, but what does it mean to love each other? Right. Mm. That's powerful. So food for, food for thought on uh, the different variations that you can do with this presentation with your team. Yeah, love's a big word, man. You know, and... I know people don't throw it around all the time, but um, you almost kind of think, JT, the teams that love each other are the ones that end up winning. And whether it is a banner or a ring on your finger or perfect attendance, but those type of teams tend to love each other. So, I, you know, I, your question had me 
had me thinking about the wild card game and how Stefan Diggs, uh, and I, this pains me that they won, but you saw during the game him throwing his helmet, being a bad teammate. Well, that, that's not being a band of brothers. He was looking out for himself. Like, why am I not getting targeted? Well, are they a great team? I, I don't know. They were that day. They were the better team that day. But does that show that you love each other? You know what I mean? You know what I'm getting out of this? Yeah, I, I think what you're you're opening the door for what does love look like? How do I know that you love me? Right. And not in the sense of it, you have, it's a fine line because immature 15-year-old high school kids are, you know, boys especially are going to be all weird with this topic. But really when we talk about love, it's, you know, why do you come to practice every day? It goes back to what's your why. Think about Coach Kirk Hines out in California, and he's so driven by his why as a, and his platform as a coach. Like, why do kids subject themselves to it? And that's the love piece. That's how I see love fitting into all of this. Absolutely. Um, well, Coach Weaver, one of the things that our listeners have heard us say over and over is culture's not just what you do and who you are. It's also who you're not. But, again, there has to be rivalry there with someone. I don't think you can truly be a great team if you have not defeated an elite opponent. Yeah, and, you know, you hit the nail on the head with this this question. And, uh, you know, we, you think about our football program, and you've been a part of our program with us doing this together for a year and some change now. So almost uh, going a year and a half of knowing everything about who we are inside Patriot football. And, you know, Jackson Prep has been our ne- nemesis. And uh, we've been good. Um Coach Davis has always said, we have a championship program. We just have to go prove it. Well, enter Jackson Prep, who uh, last year we uh, go to the state championship. We win the conference. We're undefeated. We lose in the state championship. So, yes, we were the better team, but did not win the state championship in the end. We did not get victory in the last uh, game to claim the championship. So our guys' mindset was, you know, we, we have to – tighten down the screws and you know we all want to celebrate the trophy and that was devastating to us in um in 2018 so this past year our guys were were not going to be denied so everything that we did uh i can actually tell you that these dudes loved each other they were a band of brothers which they genuinely cared about each other. they they went and grilled out at each other's houses they went and bowled together they went and did things together and until we got that victory over that elite opponent, uh, you know, our staff and our kids didn't think we have arrived. So we beat them in the regular season, which we did the year before. And then uh, we beat them in the state championship on a Saturday night uh, for our first. Coach Weaver, Coach Weaver, you're being very humble there. You didn't just beat them. <laughs> uh, we beat them 48 to 33. And we threw for 593 yards. And our quarterback uh, now has the Mississippi record public or private school for most passing yards in a game. So, yeah, we, our guys knew what it was going to take. And um, we didn't just go and defeat an elite opponent. Um, we knew that we were going to go off that field. And our kids were even saying, we're not walking off this field without the trophy. And uh, we were down at halftime 27-21. 
But, you know, you talked about how everybody wants to celebrate, but you have to go defeat an elite opponent to have an elite victory. Well, they were the seven-time defending state champions, and we dethroned them that night. Well, and there's so much more to it than that. And I've just gotten to be an outsider on the inside, kind of, if you will, from a thousand miles away. But, uh, you know, there's, I think love is spot on for your team. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to defeat an elite opponent twice over the course of the season. And then in the state championship game specifically, I know your quarterback, yeah, the stats are really cool, and he's going to remember that for a long time. But they're almost irrelevant in the sense of there was only one stat that MRA football was concerned about at the end of the game, and that was the scoreboard. That's no doubt. You know, I was trying to tell Coach Davis at the end of the game, uh, you know, we were on the 12-yard line, and uh, one of our receivers uh, hadn't scored a touchdown. All the other, the other four had. And I, I said, he's Justin's the only one that hadn't scored. And uh, then I mentioned to him, you know, that Philip could throw for 600. He goes, are you crazy? He goes, the only stat I'm worried about is that clock and us winning this championship. And I said, well stated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it kind of pulls everyone back in line. And, you know, that's where love really comes into because you, there's – I think about Walter Payton, right? Sweetness. One of the greatest running backs of all time, right from your backyard down in Mississippi. And uh, there's a lot of qualities about Walter Payton, and I've I've read up on him and his life, and and he's kind of an enigma. Like, people couldn't really figure him out. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of different personalities. And I think about the 85 Bears, one of my favorite teams of all time. You know, you talk about a band of brothers. Uh, Blues Brothers was coming out around that same time, and the Bears kind of did a spinoff of it called, and did did a poster called the Black and Blues Brothers. And uh, it was one that I had hanging in my bedroom, and it had all the different stars from McMahon and Sweetness Mm -hmm. and, you know, Mike Singletary and whatever. But I remember Sweetness got snubbed in the Super Bowl, or he felt snubbed when they handed the ball off to the fridge (laughs) on the one-yard line. (laughs) Yes. And so Sweetness, who was the Bears franchise for over a decade, he was he played for an awful franchise. He was the only reason to really keep that thing going. And then he's so bitter, not because they didn't win, but because he didn't get you know his glory in the game that he thought he was entitled to. That's right. And how many times have we seen that happen? And it ruins guys. Mm. Well. You, I'm telling you, if you saw the wild card game between the Vikings and the Saints, Stefan Diggs was on the verge of that. Yeah. Uh, you look at Antonio Brown right now, a guy that was yeah. tremendous for the Steelers. And then now he's – nobody really wants to even fool with him. You know, he yeah. is not one of those guys. Um so I strongly encourage you, if you use this PowerPoint with your team, to make sure that you really take time and and debrief with your team. What is love? Well, Coach Weaver, great thoughts there. I want to have our listeners pause for a moment and go back to your notepad that you've been writing things down in throughout the Culture Connection. And I want you to ask yourself this question and reflect on it for a little bit. Think back to your own sports experience. Have you ever played on a team that was truly a band of brothers? If so, describe the team. What was the circumstances? What was your role on the team? What did the team achieve? 
how were you a group of band of brothers? So I mentioned the 85 Bears, and I love the 85 Bears. I highly recommend a book called Monsters by Rich Cohen. Uh, it really goes into the brotherhood that was there. I think about the Houston Oilers, who they actually, their offensive line, and we've talked about identity on previous podcasts, but the Oilers' offensive line called themselves the Circle of Hell. Mm. Um, so just different brotherhoods that have existed on a football team. What are some that come to your mind, Coach Weave? Well, the first thing I got to think of is the ARB, um, our receiving core. Those guys, uh, you know, you want to say selfless. They were selfless, and they they really loved each other. Um, you know, it could have gone sour. We had five guys that could start on any team in our league, and they were all on the same team. So for us, it was, uh, you know, they had to be understanding that not every ball is going to be thrown to them. And they loved each other in the sense that at the end of the day, whether you caught one ball or whether you were blogging for the guy that caught the ball, they loved and they were excited when the other person scored a touchdown. So they celebrated each other's successes, and I think that's a huge part of love within a brotherhood is you celebrate your team's successes. Uh, so if you're and, and I'll challenge people with this: if you have people that are not celebrating your uh, your successes that are in your circle, well, then you need to go find another circle. That's a great challenge. You know, and when you can be excited about another guy getting his, as we might say in sports terms, boy, something special is happening. Because that just doesn't happen with the average teenage male. No, it doesn't. And I think that that's uh, coaches showing what love is, showing what trust looks like. Uh, but that's I think that's solely on the coaches to model that for their team, uh, for their position group. Uh, so, you know, it, for us, I knew it was going to be challenged because early in the season there were guys that they were upset that they didn't catch a ball. And, you know, we played Jackson Prep the first time in the regular season. Had one of my receivers say, Coach, we didn't even, I got targeted twice. I said, man, it just wasn't your night. Well, in the championship game, he caught seven balls for 127 yards. You know, when it's your night, it's your night. It doesn't matter. But it at a coaching point, you know, he called and he was like, coach, what, what happened? I said, man, it's not, not you. I said, it just wasn't your night. We were going a different route and, uh, other guys were open and he met with me the Monday morning. He goes, coach, I apologize for making that phone call. That was very selfish of me. Uh, I need to be more concerned about our team. And I think that's where coaches can step in and navigate that for their players. I mean, we're talking about teenage boys. Come on now. They're getting it from their parents at home. Why did you only get thrown the ball twice? I mean, you you got to have those hard talks with them about life where it's not just football, but it's about life. Things aren't always going to go your way. And, and I think it goes back to let's define what a great team is. Let's mm-hmm. define what our expectations are. Is it you leading the league in receiving, or is it us leading the league in our wins and losses column? Right. Yeah. Um, I want to. This happens at all levels, by the way. There's a really powerful story with Dan Quinn and the Atlanta Falcons, and it starts with last January when the Falcons' season and and it was an absolute dumpster fire. But when their season was over, uh, guys in the locker room are giving out numbers uh, to keep in contact over the off season, and Dan Quinn kind of watches this happen and he goes. Holy cow, how can these guys who sit next to each other 
all year long not have each other's cell phone numbers. Mm. And right then it hit him how selfish his program was. Mm. Can you imagine that though? Let's, let's just pause on that for a second. Well, here's what Quinn did, you know, going back to, to Quinn's story is he rearranged the whole locker room. He went away from the row of lockers. Um, you know, Warren Central did this, the high school I played at. They formed a circle, like a square. All the lockers faced in, so you got to see everybody. Um, you know, he put ping pong table in the locker room as well. You know, baseball programs do that. They're synonymous for having ping pong in their locker room. Uh, face-to-face interaction was also encouraged. And the biggest thing, and I talked about our kids today, discourage them from cell phone isolation. You know, so you talk about discipline last, uh, uh, excuse me. So you talk about the all blacks and what are your distractions and whatever's cluttering your life, get it out. We looked at kids' screen phone, like their screen time on their phones, JT. One kid had seven hours and 56 minutes of screen time on social media. Average that a week, like per day. I was like, what are you doing? You know? So <laughs> cell phone isolation, uh, you know, in the team meeting room, he had a basketball hoop installed. I have a basketball hoop uh, in my office. And I think it's important that he also put the sign, I will, pray for my, I will play for my brother in that locker room. And everybody put their signatures on it. We have one that says, it's all about team. Now our guys haven't signed it, but we have that right before you go out on the field in our weight room. It's called... Uh, it's a big red sign that says it's all about team. Wow. How easy is that to come up with some piece of plywood, paint it up, put some logo on it, whatever. It doesn't even have to be anything special. And then once you put your signature to it, boy, it's really hard to turn your back on the guys in the room with you. That's right. Um, I think about reading this with uh, Dan Quinn with the ping pong table and the Nerf basketball hoop. One of my favorite guys to be around in any locker room was Trent Dilfer. And he was our backup quarterback at the 49ers. And so, you know, Alex Smith, the number one prospect, the starter, like Dilfer wasn't coming in to take his job. That's not Dilfer. That wasn't his role. But there wasn't a better guy for Alex Smith to, to be mentored by. Dilfer was a little bit older. You know, he didn't have the skill set that Alex Smith or other quarterbacks did. And Dilfer was just the glue guy. He's always around. You know, I remember him asking for a whole bunch of, like, tape or getting his hands on whatever people did, and he'd set up shoe boxes, and then next thing you know, there'd be cash floating all over as everyone was engaged in, like, a tape ball bowling, you know, tournament. (laughs) Um, He was always kind of the prankster, pulling pranks on people, always willing to talk to people, sit by their lockers, sit with them. Uh, He's a big sportsman, so, like, fishing. He'd go fishing in the offseason. And sometime during camp every year, he'd have crates of fish, like of these, and I, I don't understand fish, but crates of these trophy fish brought in, and he'd put them in front of everybody's locker, and the locker room stunk for a day or two. But, you know, just things like that that connect people, that energize people, mm-hmm. that make you a coffee bean, somebody that others want to be around. That's right. If you're listening to our to the Culture Connection right now, I want you to pause, please, and go back to your notepad. And I want you to think about all the different things that we've talked about so far. 
and I want you to write down either things you're currently doing or things you'd like to do that will intentionally bring those you serve together. What's something fun that can break up the monotony, something that you can do differently to build a band of brothers? Write down some ideas right now, and let's act on those in the future. So, JT, I'm going to bring this back full circle to our Band of Brothers talk. And, you know, there's a line from HBO's Band of Brothers, and it goes like this. Because the point is, it doesn't matter where we go. Once we get into combat, the only person you can trust is yourself and the man, the man next to you, as long as he is a paratrooper. Now, this was said as they were heading into combat, but weren't sure where the next mission would take them. So let's put this in, in sports terms. Since, you know, we're relating military-style uh, stuff to athletic uh, endeavors. Does any of your teammates ever say, as long as blank is next to me, I am fine. I trust him. And that blank meaning one of your players' last names. Wow, such a powerful question. And there are so many ways to measure trust, that people measure trust. I know we have the foxhole test here in Monarch Football where we ask guys, would you want to get in a foxhole with this person, with the, the person next to you or the person next in line as you? Um, and if the answer is yes, then we're good. If not, then we've got some trust issues. I know Randy Jackson asks his players if they would lie down in traffic for them. Yeah. You know, in this question, when I think about do I trust him, I think about an offensive line a lot because those five guys have to move together no matter what. So you're not looking at receivers. You're not looking at running backs. You're not looking at defensive line or linebackers or even a quarterback. You're looking at five offensive linemen that have to trust each other. And you really think about this, even in pass pro. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, do any of your teammates ever say, as long as so-and-so is next to me, I'm fine. I trust that guy. You know, I think about the badass Raiders in the 70s, too, and I think about the Soul Patrol. Mm. Um, I think offensive line is a great example. And then I think about the secondary, where you've got safeties and corners and everyone's kind of on an island, but you're connected. That's right. And you've got different people going different places. You've got hook curl zone. You've got blitzes. You've got the deep ball. Obviously, that's rule number one if you're a DB is don't get beat deep. Um, and I think about it. One of the things, and I used to coach the DB position here, and I didn't really do a very good job because the safeties are the ones that need to communicate everything outward. I kind of had it backwards. I kind of left it up to the corners to communicate with the safeties, and it should be the opposite way around. And, you know, the Soul Patrol with the Raiders, they had their own section of the locker room taped off. <laughs> and you didn't cross that section unless you were a member of the Soul Patrol. So when you think about some of the hardest-hitting safeties, some of the most physical DBs, uh, and the Raiders have great lore uh, from the 70s with Hal Davis and John Madden, but they were a band of brothers. They were a group that brought everyone else along with them. Well, Coach Weaver, lots of food for thought here as we close part three of the Culture Connection. And I just want to remind our listeners to go back, grab your pen and paper, and a little bit of reflective questions as we close this episode. But first of all, write down, what does a brotherhood look like to you? So what are the qualities that should embody a brotherhood? 
And then lastly, let's go back to our compelling question for this presentation. Can there be a great team that doesn't love each other? For more information on the Band of Brothers presentation that you've just been listening to, please visit CoachRandyJackson.com to download it and find additional resources. GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs. Cultural Classroom is supported by Lausanne Learning, a nonprofit run by educators for educators with a mission to engage students, empower teachers, and transform schools. Through professional development conferences focusing on active learning, practical resources, and reflective teaching, including fishbowl classrooms and a unique teacher-to-teacher -teacher consulting program, Lausanne Learning is providing the authentic professional development your school needs. Visit them at lawsandlearning.com today to find one of their active learning conferences near you and to learn more about changing education from the ground up.